0: of y'all have ever seen U2 in concert? Have y'all seen them? How many of y'all were at the 1987 concert in Atlanta, Georgia? I was there. I was there. That was almost, that was actually, that was even better than that because my seats were closer today. Y'all did a great job. I love that song. And that song was actually, that's probably 1987. That is the song that went to number one, one of the most popular songs that U2 ever did. And I would say that part of the reason why is because the title of the song itself, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. In many ways, that is that is sort of like the anthem of people all over the world, and we are looking for so many different things in order to bring us fulfillment, in order to bring us joy. That things that are feel like we feel like are going to bring us substance into life, and yet when many people come to the end of their life, or whenever they take time really to take stock of life, that they come away saying the very words of that song: "I still haven't found." what I'm looking for. And you know, to me, in, in so much of life, it's, it's almost like cotton candy. And I've shared this before, you know, it looks good and you know, it looks like if I could just get that candy in my mouth that it's just going to fill it up. But as soon as you take a bite out of it, it just dissipates and, it, and it's gone and it's not as fulfilling as you were hoping. And, and that's what life is for a lot of us. And I believe the reason why life is like that for a lot of us is because where we are searching for satisfaction in life is, is in the wrong places. And that's one of the things that I that I enjoy about about today's scripture. Now obviously we are continuing our series, Rock Theology, Volume 3, and we saw a song that says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, but we are taking a biblical a biblical look at at the question that is or the statement that is made by that song, and that is, well, where can I find what I'm looking for? And so today in our passage of scripture, and by the way, if you have your Bible, we're gonna look in first John. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And so if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, it's not the, the John like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but it's 1 John. So you can go to the very end of your Bible and turn, take a really soft left turn. And uh, you're going to run into 1 John. It, it precedes 2 John. Just a good little preacher joke. Uh, so uh, anyway, so if you want to turn there, we'd love for you to do that. But what we're going to see in this Scripture today is a man who wrote this book. His name was John. And John wrote in this book, basically, or in this chapter we're looking at today, he shared with us where we can find what we're looking for. Now, it all begins with us searching in the wrong places. And and one of the things that he lets us know is that many of us are looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in just the stuff of this world. And we look for the satisfaction here because this is all we know. You know, this is where we live. And so it makes sense on a, on a surface level that we would seek fulfillment in this life. But what John shares with us is that the world is not going to provide you with the answers you're looking for. Matter of fact, in the Bible, the world, the, the word world is used and it has three different meanings. Uh, whenever the Bible speaks of the world, it, it one meaning is that it's speaking about the literal earth, you know, the, the, the dirt and all of that. So there's that world. And then it also, when it speaks of the world, it's, it's speaking of people. Uh, for instance, in John 3, 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world. He's speaking of you, and he's speaking of me. And so it's speaking of people. But today in our scripture, when the word world is used, it, it's speaking of the world system, the system under which this world operates and, and that is the world that John says that we are not to love because the world system is led by the devil. And the devil is doing whatever he can to thwart us from ever finding satisfaction in life. The Bible points us out to us. We're told in 1 John five nineteen, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In other words, the world in which we are living today, it is under the, the direction and control of the devil himself. And he's trying to do whatever he can in order to thwart us from finding meaning and satisfaction in life. And so that's why we're going to be looking in First John chapter 2, verse number 15. And just a little background about that passage of Scripture is as John was writing this, there was some, some sort of a bad teaching that was going on, and it was causing confusion in the church. Now, scholars aren't real sure you know, what, the, what the disagreement was about, but ultimately it came down to this. It came down to people were searching for hope, and they were searching for meaning, they were searching for joy, but they weren't finding it. And so John writes this letter, and he shares with us where, where many of us are looking for fulfillment. And he said, one one of the places where we look for fulfillment is many of us are searching for it in the secular, you know, in the the things of this world. And and that's what verse 15 is referring to. If you look in verse number 15, John is very clear here. I mean, it's not hard to figure out what he's saying. John says, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. And he says, and if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Now, in, in verse number 15, John very simply starts off and he says, do not love the world. And that's sort of, that seems contradictory, you know, because as, as Christians, we're told that we are to love. I mean, the verse that was before this one that I shared with you all, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. And then we get here and John says, don't love the world. Well, that's confusing. Now, remember, the, the word world has different meanings. The world, the word "world" in John three sixteen, it's speaking of you right here. It's speaking of the world order that's going on, and John says you are not to love the system of this world. Now, why is that? Well, the system of this world is absolutely corrupt and screwed up, and we all we all know there's something that is not right. About the way the world operates, and even if you 're not a person who follows after after Jesus and you don 't even look into the Bible, you, you can just you can tell that you know, as I look at world and I see that there are injustices and I see the crimes that are committed, and I see the evil that 's going on in our world, we just inherently know something 's not right and, and I think that played out uh, for me anyway as i, I remember i 'm I'm an amateur, but as I watched the uh, political election. I, there was a lot of angst in this past election. And, and there, were, there were two candidates in particular. Whenever they would speak, they would draw the largest crowds over every other candidate. And I'm, y'all get to participate here. This is going to be the civics lesson for today. All right, so who are the two candidates that drew the biggest crowds? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. And no, it wasn't Hillary, Bernie Sanders, right? Those are, two, those are the two candidates. You now, so you have to say, now obviously they, they were candidates that were sort of on different sides of the spectrum, but they agreed in one particular part of their message. System's corrupt. And that's really, that's what it came down to. The, the system is messed up. Now that is coming from a secular view. Even in the secular view, whenever we look for the things of this world to bring satisfaction into our lives, even candidates who are part of a secular world were able to say, hey, things are not right and people flock to them. We understand that something is messed up. So, so where did that all, where did all the mess up occur? Well, I'm here to tell you this. This might surprise you. I want you to know that our system is not all messed up because of Democrats. It's not all messed up because of Republicans. You know why it's messed up? Because of the devil. You You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Something happened in the Garden of Eden. And what happened in the Garden of Eden is sin entered into our world through Adam and Eve. And whenever that happened, it is like the virus of sin spread throughout our world, and it has corrupted nature itself and so so what is going on because of that well what, what happens because of that? It is now it is embedded in us it is in our nature to rebel. it is in our nature to go against god first john five nineteen says, "We know that we are of God." But it says this, and that the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Okay, so John says you don't want to look for satisfaction and fulfillment in the things of this world. Why? Because the things of this world are under the sway, or under, another word, is under the influence of the evil one. Now, I promise you this, the devil is not looking to bring fulfillment into your life. He's looking to destroy you. We're told in 1 Peter 5.8, Be serious, be alert, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Now to me, that is a picture of the devil. He puts out bait for us to draw us out so that he can put his scope on us and pull the trigger. He is hunting to destroy you and me, and so if we are looking for satisfaction in what the world offers, I'm telling you, we're going to be sorely disappointed, because this world is under the sway of the evil one. Let me try to kind of give you an example. Uh, a number of years ago, there were some musicians that noticed that the errand boys in in, London, in a particular side of London, when they were when they were walking around doing their errands, they were whistling this this tune, and and whenever they would whistle it, they, they were all of them were whistling it out of tune. And they thought that was strange. You know, they understand not everybody has the, you know, the gift of, the gift of music like, like our band does, but, that, but it's strange when everybody is out of tune. So, like, what is going on? What they discovered is that tune that they were all whistling, it came from Westminster Abbey. And you probably know that church if you watched, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the, any of y'all watching The Crown on Netflix or watch, anyway, it doesn't matter. So, anyway, there's Westminster Abbey where they coronate all the kings and queens. Well, they have bells there. And the bells, just so happened, for a certain period of time, they were playing this one tune, but the bells were out of tune. And so as the Aaron boys were walking around, they were, they were just imitating the bells. And so the, it drove the musicians, as you can imagine, it drove them crazy. So they went to Westminster Abbey to actually put the, tune, the, the bells back in tune. But it, but it just shows you what happens. When you fall under the influence of something and you begin to imitate it, but if it's out of tune, you're going to be out of tune as well. And so John says, if you are seeking for fulfillment in this world, the world's out of tune already with God. And so if we begin to imitate the world, we begin to imitate what the world teaches, and we begin to follow what the world says, then you and I are going to be out of tune with God. That's why John wrote, he said, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know That's why I have to constantly retune myself. Because it is so easy for me to drift away from God. So if I'm going to retune myself, this is where I do it. I, I want to look to see what God says, not what the world says. I want to sing according to God's sheet music, not the world's. So John says if, if if you're looking for the world to bring satisfaction for you, he said you're not going to find it in a secular. You're going to continue singing the song that you two you two sang. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And some I'm looking for... Look for fulfillment in the secular. Others look for it in, in the physical. Now I want you to look with me in verse number 16. And back in verse 15, it says, Everything that belongs to the world, it says, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle. It says, It's not from the Father, but it is from the world. So John tells us very clearly, he says, Don't love the world. And again, he's speaking of the the world system, the way the world operates, which is corrupted. But he also tells us, he says, don't love the world, but I'm telling you also more specifically, don't love the things of this world. Okay, so here's the question. What are the things of this world? Well, he explains it in verse number 16. He explains it as being the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and a pride in one's lifestyle. Now, we'll explain what each one of these things mean, but I, I believe you can take all three of those things and you can lump them together and under one category, the physical. You know, the, the, stuff that, that you, the stuff that you can feel, the stuff that you can touch, the stuff that, that you want, that you desire. And then he starts off by telling us that we are not to have a lust of the flesh. And that word lust, it means to crave. And it's speaking of a craving that is so deep that, that you crave it so much that you can't quit thinking about it. That, that you crave it so much that you're willing to sacrifice everything that you have, everything that you are, in order to get it. And that plays out for us in the, this is the lust of the flesh. Now, anytime you put lust and flesh together, you automatically think, well, John, he's obviously talking about sex here. Well, it's, it's, he is, but he's talking about much more. He's talking about much more than that. Uh, flesh refers not just to your body, but also to your aims and ambitions in life. A commentator named William Barclay summarized it well when he said, "...to be subject to the flesh's desire is to judge everything that you do purely by material standards. It is to live a life that is dominated by the senses. It is to be gluttonous in food, luxury, slavish in pleasure, lustful and lax in morals, selfish in the use of possessions, extravagant in the gratification of material desires." The flesh's desire disregards the commandments of God, the judgments of God, the standards of God and the very existence of God. In other words, that the lust of the flesh is anything that turns your attention away from God so that you can live in order to satisfy yourself. So he says John says, don't go after the lust of the, of the flesh because if you do, you're going to be out of tune with God. You're going to be out of step with God. You know, it's it's often been said that the eyes are the window into your soul. Y'all ever heard that before? That's interesting to me. So John says, don't don't go after the lust of the flesh. He says, but don't go after the lust of the eyes either. Well, I thought the eyes were good. The eyes are the window to my soul. The eyes are actually the entrance to your heart. And that's that's why we have to be careful that we don't judge our decisions, judge how we live, based off of what we see. Yeah, you know, because whenever you allow the things you see to dictate how you live, see what we see, it eventually is going to go into our heart, and then it manifests itself in the way that we live. Whatever's in your heart, that's that's how that's how you're going to live. It's going to work its way out in your actions. So John says you don't go out, to, you, you don't base your life off of what you see. Now I've done that before. Yeah, you know, there's the things I see, and I think, well, that, that looks good. You yeah, that looks fun. I'd like to participate in that. And, and so I, I, I look at things and I go, that, that looks like that that would be pleasurable for me, but that's why it's important for me that I, that I go back to what God's Word says, said, that looks good, but what does God have to say about that? And then whenever I look and see what God has to say, I go, now that looks good, but God says don't do that. And so I, I want to base and judge my decisions off of what God's Word says, not off, not off of what I feel or what I see so that's why I always encourage people, take time to read this book. Take time to read Scripture. And I say, well, I don't know where to start. And I get that. It's a big book. My, my suggestion, don't start like in Leviticus or Numbers because it's, a little, it's strange. Uh, but, you know, that Proverbs, uh, the book of John is a great book uh, to start in. But you want to spend time in God's Word. And that's why we come into the church and we want to look and see what God has to say. That's why I always encourage people. Our, our V Group Ministries. The focal point of our v-group ministry while we fellowship together and enjoy each other's company is to look and see what does God's word say, not what do you and I feel, but what does God's word say, and then let's dictate and determine how we're going to live according to his word. So he says you don't want to go after the lust of the, of the eyes. And he also says that we're to, to stay away from pride in one's lifestyle. What's that mean? Well, the word pride was a term used to describe a person who's trying to demonstrate to others how important he is. you all know anybody like that? Let's hear some names. I'm kidding. Don't say anything. Okay, so that, that's what pride is. Pride is trying to, somebody who's living in a way to show other people, look how important I am. Now, I, I see this manifest itself uh, primarily, or in one of the ways, is in, in, in money. Now, and so we want to show everybody that we're important by what we have. Now, what's interesting to me is we have a massive debt problem in our country, which, which backs up what John says. says. don't don't allow pride in your lifestyle to dictate how you live, because, man, you're going to get in trouble if you do that. I mean, do you take a look at now, why, why is there so much debt? Now, I know our national debt, I believe, is like $19.5 trillion. Now, I know that's a lot, but I'm so used to hearing it now. You know, it's just sort of like in one ear and out the other. That's really bad. My kids, sorry. It's going to be awful for you all especially. Okay, but then when you can bring it a little bit closer to home, and it, it starts hitting a little bit closer to home. Now, let, let me share with you some stats. The average American. The average American has $16,000 in credit card debt. Uh, their average mortgage is $173,000 debt. Car loan, $28,000. And the average student loan debt is $49,000. That's the average American. That's, that's, a, that's a lot, just in case you're wondering. It's a lot of debt. Now, now, why do we have debt like that? I, well, but typically, we spend more than we have. That's the easy answer. Here's another, here's another answer. Because we're trying to keep up with everybody else. Because we want to show everybody how important we are. So we, we end up allowing our eyes and our finances and our lifestyle to dictate how we're going to live. Guys, whenever, whenever we allow our personal appetites to dictate how we live, it's going to choke us out. I read a really interesting story about a 14th century duke. I don't even know where I saw this story, uh, but it's it was it's a guy named Reynald the Third, and I believe it's like maybe it's something like in the Netherlands, was where he was a duke in that in that area. And he had a he was enormous. He was a really big guy. He he had an appetite that was totally out of control. And his bro, he and his brother got into a fight. And his brother ended up sending in an army to attack him, and, and he defeated his brother. He didn't kill him, but he took his brother, and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to imprison you, but you're really not going to be in prison. And so what he does, he built a room around his brother, and it's a regular-sized door, but his brother was so big, he could not get outside the door. So he's in a prison with no door. And he said, if you want out, you can leave anytime you want. Now, the brother was kind of sly, and what he did is every day, he would bring in very fancy food, and his brother... He could have left anytime he wanted to, but he could not control his appetites. He was imprisoned without a door for 10 years. His appetite literally kept him in jail. Now, in a sense, that is exactly what John is telling us here. He's telling us that our appetites will imprison us. And if you think those things, the things of this world are going to bring you joy and satisfaction, but they're not, they're going to imprison you. Now, in many of us, we, we look for fulfillment. We look for it in the world, in the secular. We look for it in the physical. But John says, there's only one place you're going to find it, that you're going to find fulfillment. Where is it? It's in the spiritual. And, and he refers to this in verse number 17. And, and this is what's interesting. He says, he says and, and the world with its lust, what's it doing? It's passing away. But the one who does God's will remains forever. Now, we all want to find satisfaction in life. We all want to, to feel like our lives have meaning, that they have purpose, but the problem is we are, we are spending all of our lives searching for joy in a world that is temporary. And if you're looking for satisfaction in, in, in what other people think of you, in what you achieve... And what promotions you have and how much money you make, I wanna refer you back to the beginning of verse seventeen. And the world with its lust, it says, it is passing away. Guys, this world, it is passing away. And you might say, Well, I, I don't think that's gonna happen anytime soon. Okay, I don't the physical world, I, I don't know when that's gonna happen. I do, I believe it's going to pass away. But I do know this. Let's make it when something that's far off, you know, it's, it's yeah, that's gonna happen someday. Okay you let's get let's get specific you are passing away your life is temporary now we know this and we try not to think about it but the older you get the more you recognize it when you're younger you know you you feel like you have all the time in the world but as you begin to get older boy times it starts moving i mean it's like you know this especially happens when you have kids you know you have a baby y'all remember all of your parents remember that you had the baby let me tell you, if, you, if you have, any of you all have young kids, you're going to turn around and that kid's going to have a beard. And you're like, what happened here? And it's not that your kid just had this huge injection of hormones. It's that life flies. It, go, it goes by quickly. So make sure that what you're investing in is not just the stuff of this world. The missionary Jim Elliott said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, if you, if you were looking for fulfillment here, this place here, it is temporary. So where do we find fulfillment? You will find it in that which is eternal. So what's eternal? There's only one thing that's eternal. It's our God. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever it's why in scripture especially in revelation jesus is called the alpha and the omega he is the beginning and the end he is eternal god so what do we discover whenever we go after jesus here's what you discover you discover that he wants you what you discover is that he wants you to know him and to know his will well what is god's will for our lives well it's it's to commune with him to know him john seventeen three, it says this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god And the one whom you've sent, which is Jesus Christ. What what does God will for your life? He wills for you to be obedient to him. 2 John 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commands. So what makes following Jesus better than following the things of this world? He, He lasts. He's not temporary. He's not a fad. He is eternal. Psalm 119. Verses 89 and 90. It says, Lord, your word it is forever, it is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness is for all generations. You establish the earth and it stands firm. So the question is, what is, what is your foundation? What are you banking on to support you and to, to lift you up? You know, I think a lot of us we spend a lot of time rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, we're, we're looking for this world to try to put order in this world. Guys, it's going down. Make sure you're, that you're ordering your life on something that's going to stand solid. And the, the world's largest hotel is in Dubai. It stands 160 stories tall. That's a lot of stories, but um, here's how this is the enormity of it is uh, explained to me like this. It is twice the size of the Empire State Building. That's pretty tall. It's it's a half mile high. the The observation deck on this hotel is on the hundred and uh, the hundred and twenty fifth floor, the highest observation deck in the world. The highest floor that a pool's on anywhere in the world is in this hotel. It's on the seventy fifth floor. I mean, it's a massive hotel. But here's what's interesting about that hotel: as tall as it stands. A year it took. It took over a year before they built it. They spent all of that time the year before they built up, digging the foundation. The foundation has hundred and ten thousand tons of concrete. They had to pour all that concrete in, dig on it for over a year in order to enable that hotel to be able to stand. And the guys, same thing is true for us. If we're going to be able to stand in this life, if we're going to be able to rise to great heights in this life, then our foundation has to be poured by God. Because God is the only one who has a foundation that is strong enough and thick enough to take whatever it is that life's going to throw at us. And that, by the way, includes death. That includes disease. And He will stand firm. So, here's how we close. Have you found what you're looking for? Yeah, because my, my hope is that you will not leave here saying, Man, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And if you do leave like that, it's because you're you're looking for fulfillment and hope in the, in the secular, in what the world says. God, the world's temporary. You are lo- looking for satisfaction and meaning in the physical And the physical, it's it's very personal, obviously, and so anytime I feel good, then I think this has got to be the answer, but here's the deal. Physical only lasts so long. You get older. You live, and then you will die. So, So where do I find it? I find it in spiritual. I find it only in Jesus. He is the only one who stands over death. He is the only one who is not bound by time. He is the only one who has the power to forgive your sin and throw it as far as the east is from the west. He is the only one who is the son of God and who can adopt you into his family. He's it. You want to find satisfaction? It's it's only Jesus. It's not going to be your husband. It's not going to be your wife. It's not going to be your children. It's not going to be your money. It's only Jesus.